This morning I want to open up with a reading from 2 Peter. So if everybody has your Bible, turn to 2 Peter, please. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three, and I'm going to read verses nine through eighteen. Speaking of the faithfulness of God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, his faithfulness, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that <clears throat> the long suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle with, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware that you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the faithfulness of God. And what Peter's speaking to there, and if you look at verse 11, what kind of people should we be? Ask yourself that question. If all of those things are true, what kind of people should we be? We should be holy. We should live godly lives. Because as we're entering into, we've been doing the Advent now, three weeks, entering into the Christmas season full force here, what are people looking for? Something real. Something real. They're looking for hope. That's one of the messages I think that you'll hear time after time when you look at the Christmas season, if you look at the past is people are looking for something to hope in. Um, I mean, we've got the stage decorated, we've got our poinsettias up there. Is that what people hope in? The trappings of Christmas? The commercialism of Christmas? That causes more problems sometimes than it does anything else. So we need to be holy. We need to live godly lives so that when people see our lives, they see Christ in us. They see something that's worth hoping for. This morning, um, the message I have, I'll get to in just a moment. Um, call back to our remembrance, December 7th, a few days ago, Pearl Harbor Day, 80 years ago. Does it mean anything to us as Christians? 
Should we think about Pearl Harbor Day as a Christian? What value does it have? So December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. And as Christians, I think it's important for us to remember this for a couple of reasons. And one of them is that at that time, 80 years ago, Europe had already been involved in war for over two years. Asia had been engulfed in war for over four years at this point. We were living in peace here, what we thought was peace. We thought we were secure because we had two oceans buffering us from the wars, that we were safe and secure here. Okay. It was a false peace. We were deceived. We ignored the signs that even though war was raging all over the world, we were secure. We were happy. We were content. It's not our war is what we said. December 7th, we were bombed into reality. We were woken up. Is the body of Christ at peace right now? Okay. In this country, again, we don't have it bad. We're not fighting for our existence. We're not fighting to come to church on Sunday. But in Afghanistan, Nigeria, China, Christians are being murdered for their faith. Is it our war? Should be. There are brothers and sisters. There are family. Turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter five. So what we need to learn from Pearl Harbor is that when things seem like they're peaceful, when things seem like we're all secure and no problems going on around us, is the enemy's looking to attack us when we're complacent, when we're apathetic. And Peter warns us in chapter five, verses eight and nine, he says, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour or destroy, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. So right there, Peter says, we're all connected. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. And so if they're going through persecutions, if they're being murdered for their faith, it's our war too. We don't battle against flesh and blood, right? That's right? So if our brothers and sisters are being murdered for the faith, it needs to be our war too. So that's what I think we need to remember about Pearl Harbor, not just the sacrifice of the men and women that lost their lives that day and over the intervening years after that, is we need to remember the lessons that we should learn from that time is we're never at peace as long as the enemy is still roaming around as a roaring lion. He's still looking to destroy us. He's still trying to take away our testimony. He's trying to destroy the work of Christ. And he can't do that. Christ's work cannot be destroyed. But those that are working for Christ, we're the vulnerable ones. Christ isn't. Um, after that, I want to bring a little word of encouragement to you. Is one of our congregation here shared with us some visions and some words that God's been giving her. And so I want you to think about this, that this involves every single one of you, is last Sunday, I believe it was, as we were worshiping, she saw a silvery 
translucent ribbons of grace just being released and rolling around you. Ribbons of grace, God's grace, as you were worshiping, just enveloping you. The grace being unspooled and wrapping you as you worshiped. And the words were heard, stand in my grace. And then she had another word from the Lord, and God spoke to her that words have power. And we all know that, right? Words are creative, words are destructive. But words have power is what she was told. And we need to start speaking life into the atmosphere. We need to speak life. We need to speak whole healing. We need to speak hope. And then on Monday, this past Monday, God spoke the words, ready or not. We've all heard that phrase before, right? <laughs> Playing hide and seek. Ready or not. Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, he, he's coming soon. And we are like wild cows at the gate. And he's coming to release the latch soon. So ready or not, here we come, bursting out of that stall to stomp the enemy into the ground. Yeah. We are going to jump, frolic, and run. And in the middle of that joy, the enemy will be defeated. So that's the word that God wants to encourage us with, is that his grace is wrapping us. We need to stand in it. But he's also preparing us. He says, ready or not, you're going to get released. So let's get ready. Let's not just sit and think that everything is good, everything's peaceful. Is God says, get ready. The time's coming for you to be released into the world to bring joy, to bring hope, and to stomp the enemy into the ground. That's it. So, who's with me on that? Yeah. Who wants to do that? Yeah, let's do it. Is that why we're here? If you would bring up that picture, please. Everybody's going to recognize our friend here. Okay. When you look at lioness, I don't know, I don't usually think of power. Okay. But that's my message this morning, is the power of Christmas. And Christmas has so much more power than we give it credit for, than even sometimes we want to allow it to have. And most of you, my age and even some of you younger, you're familiar with the Peanuts. Okay? Who in here does not know the Peanuts, the Peanut Gang, Snoopy and Charlie? Is there anybody here who does not know who the Peanuts are? One little guy over there? All right. Maria, you don't know the Peanuts? Eric? All right. Well, we can't be having that. In Spanish, all right. All right. Um, looking at Linus here, you're all familiar then with the Christmas special, the peanuts special here. Um, something I just learned as I was preparing the message this week is that the producers, when they were meeting with Charles Schultz, they wanted this part taken out. The producers of the show wanted this part where Linus gets up and speaks oh, yeah. Luke chapter 2, wanted it taken out. And Charles Schultz said, absolutely not. And in the 50s and the 60s, part of what I was reading is in the 50s and the 60s, religion wasn't mentioned much on TV shows. It was kind of kept out of it. And they said it was because there was a, um, a careful balance 
between the Catholics, the Protestants, and the Jews, and we didn't want to offend anybody with presenting too much Christianity. And Charles Schultz said his fear at this time in America's history is that Christianity was becoming too Americanized. And it didn't really elaborate on that, so I'll let you guys elaborate on what that means. But to me, what that means is it was becoming softened. It was being, the power was being taken out of it. And Charles Schultz said, that's what the whole point of this peanut special was about, was that Christmas is not about this. It's not about presents. It's not about, you know, the perfect meal with the family. Those are all good things. But Christmas is all about Christ. That's right. And if you even take the word Christmas, Christ Mass, that's what it's about. It's about a Mass for Christ. It's about a festival for Christ. So anything that we do that does not bring and keep Christ in the center of our activities for this time is it has zero power. It loses its meaning. And so this morning, you know, December 25th, whether or not that is the day Jesus was born, I don't care. Is it a time that we set aside to say, Christ was born, and we're going to celebrate it. Right. And so as the church is the body of Christ, we need to make sure that we are giving Christ to the world. Yeah. That the way we act, the way we speak, the things that we do in our lives, are we giving them Christ, or are we just giving them the trappings of Christmas? Let's remove it. Let's strip away the trappings of Christmas and give them the pure Christ and nothing else. And so as we go through this morning, the one thing I want to remind you of, remind myself of, we have to understand that it's undeniable that one of the things that Christmas does bring, whether you're a Christian or not, is it does bring hope. And there's a power in that hope that transcends anything that's going on in your life, it transcends anything that's happening in the world, is that's the power of Christmas, is that he brings a hope that's undeniable. Do people struggle at this time of year? Yeah. Yes. Is it easy on some people? No. But if we keep Christ at the center of it, there's a power in there that if we allow it to, It'll do amazing things. I want to give two different accounts to you that are taken from personal journals, from diaries. Um, the first one I want to present to you is called Christmas on the Rappahannock, 1862. The Rappahannock was a river in Virginia. Civil War had been going on for over a year at this point. And those of you that study history and know the Civil War at all, is we, as Yankees, thought the war was going to be over in a matter of weeks. You know, that it was going to be a quick victory, that the South didn't have the fortitude or even the forces to resist. And so here we are in June of 1862, and a young college junior had enlisted in the Union Army. And he had grandiose ideas of what war was and how easy the victory would be. So on Christmas Day of 1862, this is taken from his personal memoirs, and he says, and so this is the war. I said to myself as I patrolled my two hours on the river's brink, 
I'm out here to shoot that lean, lank, coughing, cadaverous-looking butternut fellow over the river. This is the way to Richmond to end this war. And then he said, this is the reality that I soon found as being a soldier, is I'm running just to keep myself warm, pounding my arms and my breast to make chilled blood circulate, tramping up and down my 50 yards of river with wet feet, empty stomach, and a swollen nose. So his idea is his disillusion of what war was going to be like was quickly shattered as the reality of the war and the suffering mounted up. The part of the river that he was patrolling, the Rappahannock there in Virginia, was narrow enough that as he was on his patrol, he could hear the rebel soldiers on the other side of the riverbank. And so he yelled out at one point, hey, Johnny, what are you up to? And the reply was, Yank, I got no overcoat, shoes full of holes, and nothing to eat but parched corn and tobacco. We all have a cough over here, and I'm not sure which will send me to my death first, the cough or your bullets. And so they started conversing with each other. They started breaking down the walls of war. And at some point, some of those other soldiers, they joined in, and they started a you know, conversation. At some point, they found a boat, and they took a shipment of the goods that they had. They had ham, they had um, no steaks, <laughs> um, coffee, sugar, and they had ham. And the rebels sent back over parched corn, real tobacco and persimmons. And they shared what each other had. And they shouted, Merry Christmas, Johnny Reb. And they shouted the same to you, Yank. And for a while, we forgot the biting wind, the chilling cold. We forgot those men over there were our enemies, whom we might find our duty to shoot soon. They had bridged the river. They had spanned the bloody chasm. We were brothers, not foes, waving salutations of goodwill in the name of the babe of Bethlehem. On Christmas Day, 1862, at the front of opposing armies, the Christ child struck a truce, broke down the wall of partition. He became our peace. We exchanged gifts, shouted greetings back and forth, and we kept Christmas and our hearts were lighter of it. And our shivering bodies were not quite so cold. So I s present that to you as a demonstration of the power of Christmas. Is that you had enemies that were trying to kill each other, stop for a little while, and embrace the babe of Bethlehem, as they called him that that's the power of Christmas, that it will stop a war, even if only for a day. So the question I bring to you is, what kind of war are you fighting? What's going on inside of you right now? What's the pride? What's the abuse? What are the things that you're dealing with right now? What's the war that's happening right now inside of you? Are you going to keep fighting the war? Or are you going to let the power of Christmas redeem it? It's our choice. I mean, when this Union soldiers, you know, yelled over to the, you know, the rebel side, the reply could have been a bullet. But there was hope in that call. Hey, Johnny, what are you up to? There was hope in that question. And what he got was a response of someone else hoping for something better than what they were in. That's the power of Christmas. It was that time, if it had been August, he probably would have been had a bullet coming back at him. 
But when you come into the Christmas season, whatever that is, if it's a commercial thing, they want to start the commercial season way too soon. You know, let's be thankful first. That's a side thing. <laughs> Retails. But Christmas is not about commercialism. It's not about how many presents you buy, how many presents you get. It's about what Christ can do in your life. That's what this whole season is about. It's about Christ and what he did and is doing for us. Another story, if you would bring out that other slide, guys. This one's a little more well-known. This was the Christmas Truce of 1914, also known as when World War I paused for Christmas. Anybody ever seen a movie based on this? Books? Okay. This one is a lot more well-known. Again, there's movies out there about it. There's lots of books that have been written. And there's hundreds, possibly thousands of personal accounts of what happened this day in Christmas of 1914. Um, the war had been going on for about five months at this point, World War I, and they estimate that over 100,000 soldiers were involved in the Christmas truce of 1914. Okay. So this wasn't just an isolated incident that happened. And again, I'm gonna read from a personal memoir of a British soldier part of this. His name was Bruce Barnes' father, and he wrote about this day. And said, I was spending the holidays, the holiday eve, shivering in the muck, and spent a good part of the last few months fighting the Germans. And I was crouched in my trench on Christmas Eve, and at about 10 p.m. he noticed a noise, and he started listening. He could hear the murmur of voices. He turned to a fellow soldier in his trench and said, do you hear the Germans kicking up that racket over there? And what they heard when they quieted themselves and listened is the Germans were singing Christmas carols, Christmas Eve. And so some of the British soldiers began singing back, and suddenly they heard a shouting from the other side. And the shout came again, and the voice from an enemy soldier, a German, speaking in English said, come over here. And if you have any idea of World War I, you didn't come over there. Okay, some, in some places, no man's land is, my trench was built here, and AJ's trench was built 100 feet over there. Sometimes that's how close they were. And so you didn't just come over there unless you wanted to die, unless you were ordered out of the trenches. So here's the Germans saying, come over here. One of the British officers answered, you come halfway, I'll come halfway. So a little compromise, right? What happened next would in the years to come stun the world and make history. Enemy soldiers began to climb nervously out of their trenches. Can you imagine being the first one? Okay. You didn't just jump up and run out there, I don't think. I mean, you're down in your trench, you're hunkered down in there, and you don't even want to put your head above there. Because as soon as your helmet comes up, a sniper is going to be looking to pick you off. And so nervously climbed out of the trench and started walking. And eventually there comes a German heading the same way, coming out of their trenches. Normally, no man's land was streaking with bullets, with only occasional gentlemanly allowances to collect your dead. But now there were handshakes, 
words of kindness, and the soldiers traded songs, tobacco, wine, and joining in a spontaneous holiday party in the cold of the night. And Barnes Feather goes on to remember, he says, here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army standing with us face to face, and there was not an atom of hate on either side. And it wasn't confined to that one small area of the Western Front, that one small trench area. And it says, starting on Christmas Eve, small pockets of French, German, Belgian, and British troops held impromptu ceasefires all across the Western Front. And some estimates say over 100,000 soldiers took part in this Christmas truce. And some accounts suggest that a few of these unofficial truces remained in effect for days. And for those who participated, it was surely a welcome break from the hell they'd been enduring. When the war had begun just six months earlier, most soldiers figured it would be over quickly and they'd be home with their families in time for the holidays. Another account of the deception of how quickly we think war will be over. They thought they'd be home for this holiday and not spending it in the trenches in French and Belgium. Not only would the war drag on for four more years, but it would prove to be the bloodiest conflict ever up to that time. Over 15 million ended up losing or being wounded during this conflict in World War I. And by the time the winter approached in 1914 and all these things had been happening, expecting to be home, and the chill had set in, the Western Front stretched for hundreds of miles. Countless soldiers were living in misery in the trenches on the fronts, while tens of thousands had already died. And then Christmas came. So the power of Christmas literally stopped this war for a period. That people saw the humanity in each other. They had hope that there could be something better than trying to kill each other day after day. And they put aside their differences. They put their weapons down. They put their guns down. And they met in no man's land that no one could possess it because it was so ravaged and so deadly. But they met in the middle and became friends for a moment, temporarily at best, but they did it. And one British soldier even descri described a soccer match that occurred that day. Okay, Those of you that play soccer, you may have heard of that one before, is that in the middle of the war, in no man's land, a soccer game broke out. And a German soldier they found in his diary, I think they didn't find his diary until 1999, and they're reading the account. And a German lieutenant speaks of the soccer game, and he said, how marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. That's the power of Christmas. That's the things that it can do in a person's life or in a people's life if we allow it to, if we can put aside the trappings of it, if we can put aside our own ignorance, our own pride, that's what Christmas can do. It can literally stop the killing. Again, it only happened briefly because we only allow Christmas to be a very narrow part of our year. Okay? But if Christ is the center of Christmas, when do we stop celebrating? We don't. We shouldn't. So the spirit that they talk about, the hope that Christmas brings, is something we should take with us all through the year. It shouldn't be something that's confined to these three or four weeks around Christmas and New Year. 
It should be something that we carry with us all the time, not just on Christmas. The incredible demonstration of the power of Christmas is not in decorated trees. It's not in the food. It's not in presents. Did those things stop the war? Absolutely not. There's no power in presents and Christmas to stop something that horrific. But the gift that God gave us, that gift has the power. And one last thing I want to share on that with the Christmas truce is obviously not everybody was touched by the Christmas truce, the Christmas spirit. Um, there's one quote that I found that a German soldier, a 25-year-old German soldier, a corporal in the German army, he scolded his countrymen saying, such a thing should not happen in wartime. Have you no German sense of honor? I'll give you guys one guess who said that. Adolf Hitler. So the power of Christmas, as we know from history in the next decades, the power of Christmas never impacted his life. That's the opportunity we have, though, people. Is we've got a glorious gift that's been given to us, our salvation. It's not for us to hold on to, though, for ourselves. You've been saved for a purpose. What's that purpose? To share the hope that you've now been given. Is God didn't just rescue you for the sake of rescuing you. He rescued you so you could continue to do that same very act for other people. That there's people in your lives that are looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're looking for the salvation that the cross brings. The salvation of the cross started on, again, we'll call it Christmas Day. That if Jesus had not been born as a baby, he couldn't have died as a man, could he? So the, the birth of Christ is important. But we can base how important things are by how often God talks about them. So you've got the birth of Christ on one hand, and you've got the death of Christ on the other hand. Which one did God talk about more? The death. The birth was important, but God only spent a couple of chapters at best in a couple of the books of the Gospels talking about the birth of Christ. But every Gospel, most of Paul's letters talk about the death of Christ because his birth was important, but if this hadn't happened, his birth would have been of no consequence. He had to be born of the Virgin Mary, grow up into a man, live a sinless life, and then offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross so that the power of Christmas could be realized. So that when we celebrate his birth, we're celebrating his death at the same time. Because that's the important part of what he did. And we all know John chapter 3, verse 16, that the gift that God gave was so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that little baby, Christ, to be the ransom, to be the payment, the redemption for us. So that the sin that we were in, that was condemning us to hell, Christ paid the price for it. That's the gift of salvation. That's the gift of Christmas. That's the ultimate gift. This morning I want to 
talk also a little bit about um, Simeon and Anna. Turn to Luke chapter 2. And Bailey and Cody already talked a little bit about Luke 2. That's the same section that Linus talks about in the peanut special, Christmas special, Luke chapter 2. But continue to talk about the power of Christmas. And what I want to share with you here Luke 2 and verse 25. And this is Simeon and Anna. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And I want to stop right there for a moment. And the power of Christmas prevents death. What we're hearing with Simeon here is God gave him a promise. He said, you will not die until you see my consolation, the Savior of Israel. And so, I don't know, if we don't really know how old Simeon was, but having that promise in his life, he was looking for him. He was looking for the Savior. He was looking for what God had promised him. And in verse 27, it goes on to say, and the important part of this is it says, by the Spirit, something we all need to hold on to right there, is he was led by the Spirit to be where he needed to be at this time. And, it, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then talk about boldness. God told you, you're not dying until you see the Savior. Some strangers walk in. The Spirit reveals to them, that's the child right there. Simeon goes over there. I'll take that kid. Okay. A few babies sitting around in here right now, and you know some of you know me. Jennifer, if I walk over there and grab Layla, you'd be okay with that, right? Okay? <laughs> She's all for it. Hey, Layla. But imagine a total stranger walking into church, you and you know, Josh walk into church here, and a total stranger just says, hey, give me that baby. Okay? Josh wouldn't stand for it. Okay? But that's the boldness that Simeon had. Is God said, that's the child. And Simeon went and took him and celebrated what God had shown him. And so he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at the things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, Behold, the child is set for the fall and rising <clears throat> again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so the power of Christmas, the power of Christ, kept this man looking for what God promised. He was looking for the salvation of Israel and also for the Gentiles. That Simeon prophesied right here that even though in the beginning 
Jesus was only speaking and ministering to the Jews, and there was even some contention among the apostles, the disciples, about taking the promise of Christ to the Gentiles. Simeon, right here, the week after Jesus was born, was saying, this is for the Gentiles also. And that's who we are. We are the Gentiles that were promised salvation long ago by the power of Christ. And if you read on in verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of eight, or excuse me, four score and four years, 88 years old. And she departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings, prayers, day and night. And she came at that instant and gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke to him all of them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So there you have two different people that were led by the Spirit to be there at the temple in the right part of the temple to find the Christ. And it said Anna was 88 years old and God allowed her to live to see the salvation of Israel. So the power of Christmas can stop wars. It keeps people alive. It transforms lives and it gives you hope. So Jesus Christ is the power of Christmas. He's the hope that we have. What are we taking to people? What do we have to give to them? If you have Christ, you have all that they need. Apart from Christ, we have really nothing to give them. I mean, it doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how strong you are, how wealthy you are, the things that you can give people are temporal. Those things will pass away. But if you give them Christ, you give them something that's for eternity. And that's what people need. That's what this world needs is the hope of salvation. And so as this Christmas season you know, heightens, we become lighting more candles, is it's Christ that we need to be presenting to people. And how am I living my life? Am I presenting Christ to people by the way that I live? AJ, if you want to come forward. Is we have one more song that we're going to do. Well, I'm not going to do it. You guys would all run from the place if I started singing. I can, I'll sing, but I'm going to mute myself. Um, but as we sing the song, it's come to the altar. And as we do the song, as we think, I want you to reflect on the words. I want you to think about your own life, the things that you're going through, the struggles that you're having, the things that Christmas does bring up. It does bring hope, but it also brings sadness to people. If you've lost a loved one this time of year, and even just the first Christmas without a loved one is hard. I know that's true. But if we take the power of Christ and bring it into our own lives, if we share it with other people, it'll help that season take on a different meaning. And so the song has come to the altar. And as you're singing the song, and we think about it, gifts are nice to receive. I mean, we all look forward to gifts, right? Especially you young children. 
Gifts are a big part of Christmas. Does anybody say they do not like getting gifts? Anybody in here willing to say that that is true? We all like getting gifts, right? God has prepared and given us the greatest gift that we can ever receive. We've talked about that. It's Christ. It's salvation. That if you're here this day and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. Just don't leave here without taking care of laying down your sins and your burdens and asking Jesus to redeem you from your sin. Because if you leave, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? young men lose their lives this last week. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what the rest of this day holds. So if you are here right now and you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know what the peace of the salvation of Christ is, today is the day that you need to take a step and say, I'm a sinner. And the only way that I know that my place in the family of God is secure is by saying, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse my heart. This is the day for that to happen. So as this song is going on, if that's you, if you need to give your life to Christ, today is the day to do it. But also as we sing this song, I also want you to, you know, those of you that have a relationship with Christ, those of you that know your eternity is secure in the hands of the Father, but you're fighting a war, those of you that are, have addictions that you're fighting, those of you that have family relationships that aren't good, those of you that have pride, that have unforgiveness, whatever happens to be, allow the power of Christmas to break it off of you. And so as this song is called, Come to the Altar, I want you to come forward and bring your gift. Is your sin a gift to God? I think it is. Because that's why Christ died. He said, give me your sins because you can't handle them. You can't carry them. So bring your sin, bring your burdens, your war, whatever happens to be, bring your pride, bring your gifts and the talents. The gift that God wants is you. So anybody that's willing to take action, if you, you know, we're told to put our faith into action, right? That faith without action is worthless. Christ for salvation. Come forward. One of the elders will meet with you and pray with you. But those of you that want to give yourself, make an action step today and don't just walk through this life being like a Christian. Be a Christian and take the step forward through no man's land and come and meet the Savior. Lay yourself down at the altar and show and demonstrate to your family
you to be in the right place at the right time. The way that Simeon and Anna were led by the Spirit to be in the temple, but in the right place to meet the King of Israel, to meet the Savior. So in your own lives, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to be where you need to be, to meet the people that you need to meet, to be a boldness to proclaim the hope of Christmas, the power of Christ. Because that's all that this world needs. That if the power of Christmas, if the hope of Christmas can stop a bloody war, even for a day, if the world can embrace that, this will be a different world. We are the carriers of that. That if you have Christ in you, if you have the Holy Spirit living and working through you, you are the hope.
goodness that you have showered into our lives. And we give them the same hope that we have, the same 